And it is that time again. I don't know about a bad moon. It's been a uh, strange week with our tropical moisture and our 100-plus degree temperatures and everything in between and our wind. And I'll tell you what, it's summer in Utah, I guess. Tropical moisture. We're getting from Mexico, and uh, apparently it's going to continue for a while. But what it means is, well, it means warm, muggy temperatures for Utah. You know, we get up around 10%, 12% humidity, and we start complaining and everything else. And I was talking to somebody the other day from down south. I said, man, it's getting kind of muggy here. It's hot and muggy. He said, it's come to Florida, okay? Don't worry about muggy here at 10 11% and 102 degrees. He said, I'll, I'll take this any day over about 88 degrees and our 35% humidity in Florida on a regular basis. So I guess we can't complain. What it does mean, it means that we've got to make some adjustments in our outdoor activities. Take plenty of water if you're out and about. And... Um, Start thinking, obviously, about some of those higher elevation things that you want to do, whether that's uh, fishing the Uintas. And we're going to talk, by the way, a little bit later in the program about some areas that are being treated in the Uintas, some things the Division of Wildlife Resources is doing, uh, some areas you might want to look at if you're thinking about uh, trying to escape the heat and maybe get out and do something outdoors. Also, uh, ride some RVs. This is the time of year when we got jamborees showing up. And uh, so get up around 8, 10, 12,000 feet and things change in a hurry. Uh, but again, be prepared because we're going to get some rain. There's no question about that. Anyway, um, this also, August, in addition to being wet month in Utah and apparently hot month in Utah, is also National Shooting Sports Month here in the state of Utah. I'm not sure that you guys knew we had a National Shooting Sports Month, but we do, and this happens to be it. And of course, this is kind of a nice precursor for the hunting season that will start in August and then, of course, continue throughout the fall. But the bow hunt, on the horizon and some of the other hunts that will get us out of the valleys and up into the higher elevations. So it's a good month, obviously, August, to maybe sight in that rifle, uh, pull it out of mothballs if you haven't used it since last year's hunting season. I know there are a lot of folks that don't get out and target shoot during the year. So really the only time that they think about bringing that gun out is this time of year. And, of course, sighting it in and all the things attendant with that. Because you pay a lot of money to get your permits and, you know, you get that uh, that tag, whether it's a deer tag or whether you're just out hunting, you know, small game or whatever. Uh, got to take the trip, got to spend the money, got to do all the other things, get the licenses, etc. And then if you can't put the thing on paper, it's just a, a nice day out in the outdoors. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to go, you may as well decide to come back with something. And so National Shooting Sports Month in August is a good time to... Uh, uh, get that gun out and start seeing if you still have a shooting eye. Now, you know, it's normally uh, our second segment of this program. We have George Summer in with us, who uh, for years and years was involved in selling sporting goods, retail, and everything else, but has moved, as many of you who listen to this program will know, with the uh, to the Lee K Center. And George has been there now for, oh, probably about a year or so, and uh, George is the Wildlife Recreation Program Specialist out at the Lee K Public Shooting Range, which is, uh, of course, out there on, uh, 
what I used to call 21st South. Now I guess it's Highway 201, uh, but it's 21st Southwest in Salt Lake. And what a great facility the state has there as a, uh, as a range. But that means that George is extremely busy during National Shooting Sports Month because there's a lot of stuff going on at the Lee K Center. So today, basically, George is co-hosting this program with me because we're going to bring him in right off the top of the show, and he's going to be here all the way through the second segment. Uh, so, George, thanks for joining us this morning and let's talk shooting sports and we'll talk fishing in our second segment but this is your real job and uh, you're going to be busy out there the center which normally gets busy this time of year anyway because of the upcoming hunts is going to be extra busy with august being national shooting sports month oh you know you hit the nail on the head it is uh, we're already starting to see the uptick um and i I don't think a lot of people knew it was national shooting sports shooting sports month but it's a perfect opportunity to to focus on just what exactly you said getting out and whether it's your bow or your your rifle or your handgun getting everything sighted in getting the the skills down pat so that when you do go hunting um you have an opportunity for a good clean shot and then you can harvest your game and bring it home and and uh, and have some fun but you know it's a it's a great time of year it's a little warm but like you mentioned it's it's been a little cooler before it rains um, so, it, it, and we've got a great facility here, and there's a great facility in Cache Valley um, to come out and, and sight your guns in, sight your bows in, or if you don't do that, come out and practice a, a trap shooting or skeet shooting or or a five stand. Yeah, you mentioned the bow, and I, I only mentioned the rifle, but that's right. You've got you've got archery lanes right there. In fact, uh, I know you've got a bunch of them. Uh, you've got fifteen lanes that go from twenty five or twenty to ninety yards for the archery guys. And you know, you might think ninety yards, but with today's bows, uh, it's definitely if you've worked at it, just like with the guns, you can extend that range that you can be effective if you come out and practice. It's not something you just want to show up and try a sixty five yard shot with your bow but if you go out and practice on it and the opportunity is there especially at the lee k center to be able to do that so the archers are also there uh but in terms of the rifle you can go from a 100 200 300 yard rifle range um you can also go that 25 to 75 uh, handgun rimfire muzzle loaders and rifles too so i mean really no matter what somebody wants to shoot they can shoot at uh, at the Lee K Center. You're out there at 60th West and 2100 South, and it's a public shooting range. It's uh, the prices are absolutely crazy cheap, and it's just a good opportunity to get out and and use that facility, which is state of the art. It is, you know, and, and we're constantly making improvements out here. Um, and you know, people if they don't know uh, what they need to do, we do have clinics and events out here as well. Uh, we've got three of them coming up in National Shooting Sports Month, August. Um, I've got a long-range clinic, um, which is pretty limited, and it might be full right now. But there's a basic handgun for people who just want to learn how to use their handgun, just getting started. And then we've got an intermediate one that's for the little, a little more advanced um, handgun techniques. And so we're always doing stuff out here to help people um, get better uh, tuned in with shooting, um, whether, whether it's an arch or a bow or their handgun or a shotgun so you know it's it's not only do we have the facility but we have the opportunity to teach people as well yeah and then there's also the the dog situation right because if uh, you want to bring your dog out and this i think is one of the great 
the great things that it offers there is that dog training area with upland game and waterfowl habitats so you can get out and work your dog in preparation for the fall hunts. You know, exactly. And, and I don't know of any other dog training facilities in the valley. Uh, I know there's a little little small one up north by Willard Bay somewhere, um, and there's probably some other odd places, but this one, we have a, a facility that's got ponds. We've got upland habitats, and you can come out and, and uh, run your dog. You can put them on uh, whether you want to do, uh, and, and you know, what the, the, it always escapes me what the terminology is, the things you throw, and you can actually do uh you know, um, run them on a sand trail and things like that. So it's it's a there's about six or seven hundred acres of dog training area that people can have access to just by buying the key. Yeah, and that's really amazing that you've got that kind of space because, as you said, there just aren't that many places to do that. You can take your your dog to a professional trainer and leave them and and work with them, or you can just do it right here. Uh, and your prices, like I said, five dollars for an adult day pass, two dollars for a youth day pass for those who are fifteen and younger, and then you've got fees for trap and skeet uh, and things of that nature. But you can go to the website to find that. But you got the shotgun range. Uh, uh, that stays open till nine o'clock. Uh, the shotgun and archery fields uh, nine yeah, o'clock on, on Thursdays. That's your late night, correct. right? Yeah, and then correct. the rest of the time uh, on uh, uh, Wednesday to Friday from ten a.m. to five p.m. and then Saturdays from nine to four. Sundays nine to one, and then Thursday is your late night as well, staying open until nine p.m. for shotgun range and archery so you can find a time to get out there and do that and if uh boy i tell you if you got a flexible schedule there are times when you can have that range pretty much to yourself maybe not so much in the month of august but certainly any other time of year exactly you know and, and so like this morning we see a lot of people out here this morning first thing in the morning and then it'll die off so if you wanted to come out and shoot you know uh, late morning early afternoon on a wednesday or even on a thursday um Friday mornings are typically not very busy. Saturdays and Sundays are, of course, our busiest days um, because that's when most people have the ability to come out and shoot. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you can typically come out on those those odd days and, and pretty much have it to yourself. You know, I would suspect not so much on the big bore range coming up here. No. <laughs> So talk to me about your about your clinics, the dates on those clinics uh, that you've got going. And you mentioned the long-range clinic. That seems to be, I mean, that's one of the things that has become really hot as far as uh, people's interest in long-range shooting, I think, over the last four or five years. It was, uh, you know, unheard of to be shooting 1,000 yards and more uh, five, six, seven years ago. But now with new ballistics and what's available and, and the fact that there are facilities to do that and teach you how to do it, it really has become something that uh, that people are getting into more and more. Exactly. You know, so August 23rd, um, it's, an, it's an evening deal. Um, and it's, it's limited to 15 people. All of, all of these clinics are on Eventbrite. So you have to get a, it's a free ticket, um, but we need, do need to know who's coming um, because some of the instructors, like the instructor on the long-range clinic, he wants to be able to do one-on-one instruction, and so that's why it's only 15 people. Uh, There's a little bit more people on the, the basic handgun class, and the same thing with the intermediate. It's a one-on-one instruction. Um, so it's a, a little bit smaller classes to get people to work with people to bring their skill levels up. Um, at long-range, you know, it is, it's extremely popular now because there's a lot of people that just shoot, uh, and there's a, a real challenge in shooting long range. Um, 
when you get out to 800 to 1,000 yards because there's a lot more variables that are at play. And if you can learn how to understand those variables and how to compensate for them, you can be a better shooter. Yet it's interesting, too, weather plays such an important part in long-range shooting, whether it's dew point, temperature, obviously wind would would be in there as well. But you really have to know a lot of different things when you start shooting at those kind of distances. And uh, I know there's some apps out there that can be used to help as well, but it is a true science. And for people who really want to, I I don't know, actually learn uh, it's a fascinating subject, what ballistics and the impact that weather and everything else have on, on ballistics and, and shooting accuracy. I think it's fascinating. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Gary Winterton did the long-range shooting uh, out there at 1,500 yards. And, boy, you know, so many different things to take into effect. But, boy, once you get it dialed in and you understand all the variables and then are able to address each one of them individually, it's amazing how accurate you can get with the right gun, the right the right uh, loads, and everything else, uh, just an incredible skill set that you can develop to shoot long range. Exactly, and, and there, you know it's all those factors that make it a challenge. Um, and, it, and it's you know a good gun, a good optic. Um, the app is certainly uh, based on your caliber. The app is a, is a handy tool to let you know what your holdover is going to be or what you need to adjust your turret to. Um, in order to be on target at 800, 600, 800, 1,000 yards. Yeah, it, uh, it, like I said, it's an amazing, I, I think it's a fascinating sport, and the fact that it's getting more and more popular to me uh, just makes, it makes shooting that much more interesting. You know, the folks who, who don't shoot and have never shot, uh, and all they see when they see somebody with a gun is uh, somebody who wants to go out and, uh, and shoot and kill something, uh, just don't quite get it, that there's a skill set involved there, and there's a challenge to be able to hit a target, at whether it's 100 yards or whether it's 1,000-plus yards, that there's a challenge there. And as you challenge yourself individually, there's a certain sense of fulfillment when you're able to accomplish it. And uh, it, it always amazes me that we have people who judge our sport, our shooting sports, without any kind of experience whatsoever, and they simply uh, respond to news reports about. And of course, we've had the tragedies lately, and it and it hurts every one of us because we're all lumped into that same mindset of people who uh, are crazy. I mean, there are sick people out there, and uh, you know we don't we don't indict all drivers because somebody uh, gets behind the wheel and hurts somebody, but we do indict tend to indict gun owners because somebody tends to not be a responsible individual and i i just uh, that's one of those things i've never quite figured out why that happens but it continues to but for those of us who enjoy shooting as a sport and the challenge of hitting a target especially at uh, those extended distances this is a great month to get out and have some fun with it and the lee k center and the facility up in cash valley two really great locations to do that exactly you know and and People should, because it's one thing to, you know, to, to hit paper. Uh, the second part of the challenge is to be able to, to do shoot a tight group. And <laughs> and it's not as easy as you could be led to believe. I mean, it, it takes some practice, some, some uh, there's a lot of breathing structure, a lot of, uh, you know, the right hold and stuff like that to be able to put. You know, all three shots in one in one area, and mm-hmm. that's the challenge. And that's what I like about shooting sports is is you've got to have all of these techniques 
Um, and you, you can, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And that's why I like, you know, get it on paper and then focus on getting a smaller group, then maybe shooting at 600 yards or 300 yards. But there's, there's opportunities to have fun that don't harm other people. Absolutely. Um, and it's, you can, you can go out and have a good time just shooting. Um, a lot of people that come out here, um, shoot. A lot of them are, are planning on hunting, but there's a lot of them that just come out to shoot because they're, that's their challenge. And that's what's fun for it. And by the way, before we get off the subject of uh, going to the Lee K Center, we should mention that th- there's a heck of a bird watching opportunity out there for those who just want to come out. Maybe the other part of the family doesn't shoot while one part comes in and sights in the guns. Uh, there's an opportunity to get out there and check out the wildlife because it's an area that not too long ago, that place was a uh, was quite a... Uh, uh, what a rural area of the Salt Lake Valley. Of course, it's uh, been encroached upon over the years, but there's still such a great area of uh, natural habitat for bird life uh, and wildlife still out there. And with all those acres you're talking about to train your dog on, it also affords a nice habitat for some of the wildlife that has been historically is out there and has not all been moved out because of the uh, the urban sprawl that we've experienced. So it, it's something really for every member of the family to come out and enjoy. Well, exactly. You know, we we're, I'm trying to, to uh, pile up a list of or compile a list of of all of the wildlife you can see out here. And I, I keep adding to it. I think I've got about 30-something bird species. Um, plus, the, you know, there's deer. One day we had to go kick a bunch of deer off the big boar <laughs> range because they, they like the shade under the, the baffle. Um <laughs> Well, that affords yeah. that affords guys who are sighting in their rifle a little extra incentive, right? <laughs> don't <laughs> don't you don't shoot at them, but you can certainly see what they look like in your optics, and depending on how you're going to hunt this year, it might be the best look you get. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we've got fox out here, but there aren't a lot of birds. You know, if you want to come out and see geese, um, there is a phenomenal number of geese out here, and there's ducks and there's ibises and. You know, it's, it's just a. We I see a lot of those on the shotgun side, but the gazebo um, to actually go bird watch is is located in a little better area. It's off the, the road to the dump over there, and there's a gazebo. There's a series of ponds along there that have pelicans and ducks, and I mean you can see all kinds of different uh, birds up there. So, you know, that's another good rounding out everything we have out here. Um, and you, it's not part of National Shooting Sports Month, but it's another opportunity at Lee K that a lot of people don't know about. Well, George, uh, we'll take the break. We'll step aside because you know the drill. You're coming back in the next segment. We're going to talk fishing, okay? Perfect, and I'm ready. All right, stick around. George continues with us in just a few moments. And uh, we'll be back right here on Saturday morning with Inside the Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, inside the outdoors on this Saturday morning. And it is uh, Stephen George show because George Summer, who joined us in the first segment to talk about National Shooting Sports Month, is joining us as he normally does to start our second segment. And we're talking fishing in this segment. George, uh, welcome back to the show. 
Well, thanks for having me back again. <laughs> that's okay. I plan on you billing me double this month. So that that'll work just fine. So, <laughs> you know, we talked we talked about dog days of summer over the last couple of weeks, and you know, it certainly has turned into that. Uh, when you start getting temperatures the way we have, and the surface temperatures of the water seventy plus, I mean, we're looking at obviously dog days of summer, which makes lake fishing even more difficult than it has been and it, more important that you find that thermocline that oxygen layer of water that those fish want to be in because they don't want to be in that 75 degree surface either in, in some of our lakes yeah exactly you know and, and and the other part of it is to fish first thing in the morning fish in the evening yeah and take a siesta in the middle or go swimming um to kind of cool off you know, I th- that, that's really a, a good uh, suggestion because a lot of people don't adjust their fishing based on the uh, based on the season. You know, we, we always think dusk and dawn, and uh, in the summer, obviously, that is a great time to go. Other times of year, you know, you can fish the midday when things warm up a little bit. But this time of year in particular, you got to pay attention to what's going on in the uh, in the climate around the fish as well, don't you? You know, and, and a lot of times those, the water typically is cooler in the morning because it's cooled off overnight. Yeah. And those fish are going to be up, up shallow feeding because um, they can handle, you know, a little bit a little bit of warm water but not a lot of hot water. So they'll I, I typically will start first thing in the morning, run in the bank, um, and fishing those shallow fish. And then you can typically follow them out. You'll see them as, a, as the sun comes up, it gets a little warmer, they're going to be a little deeper. And then as it gets, you know, the water really warms up, they're going to be even deeper yet. Um, there's always a few shallow fish, but the bulk of the fish, you can you can see them move deeper. And some fish, they stay below the thermocline all the time because they like that cool water. Yeah, I think that's true. And And one of the other things to think about is, you know, this might be a time of year if you've been thinking about uh, getting into downrigger fishing, this is a good time of year to do it because of that finding that strata of water and then being able to put that lure in there or that bait in there if you're out of on a boat, especially. Uh, it just There's really no substitute for the downrigger. You can try it with lead line. You can do snap-on weights and, and those kinds of things. And there are times, certainly, when that will work. But in terms of getting the control of where you're fishing uh, there's no substitute for a downrigger situation, and you don't have to spend six, seven, eight hundred dollars for an electric downrigger. Start with a manual downrigger. They're not that expensive. You know, it's a simple procedure. They're easy to learn how to fish. But I think once people get into downrigger fishing, it just gives you another opportunity to be able to target fish and get that get that lure more in that feeding zone. Well, and and that's the key thing. It's another opportunity um, that. When, as the fish are deep, which a lot of times in the winter, early spring, the summer, you know, um, where that thermocline is, a downrigger allows you to, to get to those fish. And, it's you know, we it was always called controlled depth fishing. So you yeah. knew when you put your ball down 50 feet, you're going to be, unless you're going really fast, you're going to be pretty close to 50 feet down. Um, and then it's just a matter of adjusting how far back you are for the ball and what lure you're using. And... So downriggers, again, it's another opportunity, another tool in your toolbox to go catch fish 
especially when it's warm like it is. Yeah, and one of the other advantages to me to a downrigger is because you don't have to be out there, you know, 150, 200 feet. When it gets busy, and indeed it does on our lakes in the summer, especially if you're a weekend fisherman, when you get into boat traffic, you know, if you're dragging a, a Rapala or, you know, pop gear or whatever, 100, 150 feet behind you, chances are you're going to at least catch something. You're going to catch another guy's rig if that's the case. Uh, downrigger fishing allows you to fish closer to the ball. Your setback doesn't have to be nearly as, as far. You can make those tighter turns. And, and again, it just enhances your fishing experience. If you're going to spend the money to go out and fish, and despite what we tell our significant others, um, you know, it does get cost us a little bit of money with terminal tackle and everything else. And then if you've invested in some kind of a watercraft, even if it's only a, a float tube or pontoon boat or whatever, or inflatable boat, uh, you've got some money involved in it. It pays to, to maybe add that little additional uh, cost of being able to, as you say, control depth fishing because your success rate is going to be enhanced significantly by doing that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, with the investment, you can do the investment however you want to start. Um, there's kits that for a hundred bucks you get the downrigger, and it's a small, it's a small kit, so but it works. it's typically not a big ball, but it does work. Um, and then you can go all the way up to you know a, a fifteen hundred dollar um, electric, and to most people somewhere. A lot closer to like two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> least in my least the people in my circle of friends that's they're closer to the two hundred than they are the fifteen. Well, and and we sold more two hundred dollar outfits than we did anything else, and because you've still got to buy the ball, you should always have a, a spare Terminator kit because if you're fishing at places like Flaming Gorge, you're probably going to lose that ball, yeah. which also takes off the end of the cable. So you have Terminator kit, a spare ball. Um, you know, all the stuff to keep it going. Um, and that's typically your, your investment. A lot, most of the time, you, you'll spend in spare parts for your downrigger. You'll spend as much as you will for the downrigger. But you don't want to go home without them just in case. Yeah, absolutely. But it does it does improve your fishing opportunity. And it also makes it uh, pretty interesting. If you can couple the downrigger, and again, we've talked about this before, but with a fish finder, you you know now you've got an opportunity to locate fish, find out which is the non-productive water. If you're not seeing fish, chances are not always, but chances are if you're not seeing some fish, you might want to move. Now, that doesn't always work, and I had an experience this week that we'll get into later in the show where that didn't necessarily work, that you weren't marking fish but were catching fish, and that will happen but typically it will help you eliminate non-productive water so once you find the fish and you find the depth now if you've got the ability to put that lure in that depth then it's just a matter of finding out what they're hungry for and that can be a whole nother ball game obviously but that's why you have that tackle box you know they don't make a tackle box with just one one little slot for lures that's why they give you those 50 or 60 lure slots so you can make sure that you have exactly what it is the fish are looking for but it it does improve your chances of success and let's face it uh, everybody loves fishing uh, but catching makes it even more fun yeah well the catching is the icing on the cake yep you know a cake is good but icing on the cake is even better and, and uh, you know i i like to go fishing fishing is a lot of fun but i like to put the fishing and catching together at the same time because <laughs> um, that's even more fun so where would you recommend if you're looking uh, what, what have you heard out there for the dog days of summer now 
Well, and so, you know, I, I took a chance. I had two places I was going to go to, and I flipped a coin, and I went to Willard. And, uh, and you know, I, I did, you know the definition of insanity, which is yes. doing the same thing over and over again. And Willard bit you. Willard bit you, Willard, but the fish well, didn't. Yeah, exactly. I caught a couple of fish. They're there. I mean, but there's so many shad there um, that it's tough to get them to bite. So I should have went to my first choice, which was Deer Creek. Um because I was going to go up, I wanted to go walleye fishing at either place, and uh, and I should have went to Deer Creek. Um, and that's where I'm going next week is to Deer Creek. I'm going to go up and catch me some walleye or some perch. But if I was going, if I was going to pick some place, I'd go to Rockport because I'm hearing that the perch fishing at Rockport is back, and they're not huge. But they're bigger than the ones I caught a fish like. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you already went through the miniature uh, perch routine. <laughs> so anything you get over about five inches is going to be good for you, right? Yeah, they're, they're running uh, about nine to ten inches at Rockport, and there's an abundance of them. So, you know, things have turned out well at Rockport, and that would be my choice. All right. Well, that sounds like a pretty good uh, a pretty good routine for me. And as far as getting out there, that's one of the keys right now. Just uh, it's trial and error with the dog the dog days of summer. You've just got to plan on going out, being warm, stay hydrated, and enjoy the day, even if you don't catch a lot of fish. Because it's it's probably more fishing time than catching time right now. Frankly, right? It is, but it's still you know it's still uh, you know what they say about fishing. Bad day fishing is better than a good day at work. You got so, that right. Um, it's always it's always fun, and you know the key thing you mentioned: staying hydrated. Another thing is sunscreen. Yeah, um, making sure you put. Uh, and uh, what I've had to do because I'm I'm horrible with sunscreen, so I put it on before I leave the house. There you go. Um, that way, I know it's on and it's protecting me. Um, because I, I heard something this morning on the news that uh, melanoma is the number one cancer in the state of Utah. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it, best to be safe than sorry. Sunscreen, lots of water, or Gatorade or Powerade, whatever you prefer. Just stay hydrated and have a good time. All right, George. Hey, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Steve. Ah, yes, walking down the lane. The red-headed wonder, the man with his straw hat, his cane pole over his shoulder, and he's got his cutoffs on, not the Daisy Dukes, however. Yes. Okay. Those white chicken legs, <laughs> it's bad enough, right? How you doing, GW? <laughs> Gary Winterton joins me. Oh, I'm doing good. I kind of... I kind of grossed myself out thinking of, my, of myself going down the thing in Daisy Duke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Hey, listen, uh, you've been out catching some big fish. You know, we just talked to George about how it's kind of tough, dog days of summer, especially still water fishing, but you found the place and the opportunity, and you also apparently have found the pattern to get these big fish, too, based on what we're going to see tonight on your show. Yeah, gosh, you know. We um, we decided all right we're going to go away from some of these local lakes here because I think they get they get pounded and pressured in a couple of ways you know uh, Deer Creek Jordanelle and some of these local lakes are getting a lot of surfing wakeboarding skiing traffic and then heavy fishing traffic and so I think that has has caused a lot of these lakes to slow down in the dog days of summer so we decided we were going to Central Utah we boogied down to the Beaver area and went to Minersville and. I've got to tell you, it was awesome. A few years ago, early, early in the spring, I went to Minersville, and we did an ice-off fishing show where we actually were fishing right as the ice was coming off. We caught some really nice rainbows. 
So um, we thought, hey, we'll go back and hit it. You know what? We were, there was a kayaker on the lake, one other bass fisherman, and us, three boats on the entire lake. It was awesome, Steve. I got to tell you what, you know, Minersville has smallmouth, wiper, um, trout. It's got, it's got a, a great fishing base for diverse fishing. So we went after the smallmouth, and I was pleasantly disappointed and kind of bummed. <laughs> we just got the little fish, but there was a crazy algae bloom going on, and I think what it looked like, the lake had turned over. That's really what it looked like. So kind of interesting, and I wonder if we just had a few cool nights where we did have a little bit of a rollover on that lake. That's uh, early, it was though. Just a, yeah, the water's only 70 degrees. So for for the algae to be there, as much algae as there was, um, I'm like, gosh, that's normally what you see when you get into 75, 76. That's when you get that big algae growth. But needless to say, after we fished for about an hour or so for a smallmouth, just catching some really small guys on crankbaits, we, we changed up and went straight out to trolling. And I'll tell you what best decision we made the entire day other than getting a really cold Diet Pepsi on the way down. Um, <laughs> dude, we whacked him. And I went, I went to the Steve Brown guaranteed to hook big fish setup, and that was with a pink squid tipped with a night crawler with a rainbow flasher. And we went down to about 20 feet deep, 22 feet deep, trolling at about two miles an hour. And we just started whacking the rainbows. And Steve i got to tell you what, these are some of the healthiest, fattest fish I've seen in a long time. What's interesting, all the fish we caught were planters. However, really? they, were, they were big. They all had clipped fins. But these fish were, I think the biggest we landed, you'll see, is pushing, you know, over three, three to four. I know that I had one on, and you'll get a glimpse of it through some aerial footage that was probably four to six pounds. He was huge. Came out of the water a couple of times, and then, and then we get a good aerial shot, and he comes off. Everybody right now is saying, sure, big one got away. He did. Well, and, uh, hey, listen, we never lose the small fish. Come on. I mean, right. that's just the way it is. You and I, neither one of us, have ever lost a small fish, right? Right. I don't know why that's the case. Yeah, every but fish we ever it, lost is huge. It's just the way it, it works. It is. So, we, Steve, <laughs> we just ran, we ran four rods. Every single one of them had pink on it, and this is what I did. I ran... A stacker. So I did 22 feet with the pink um, squid tip of the night crawler on one side. On the other side, a pink max wedding ring with a night crawler. And then I just alternated. Above that, 10 feet above was a squid. On the other side, 10 feet above was a pink max wedding ring. Every one of those produced. And we, we just found our line. We went back and forth where we were in about 35 feet of water trolling at about 22 to 20. So then we were 10 and 10, roughly. And I'll tell you what, Steve, we caught some awesome trout. And the best part about it, there was not a boat on the lake until the very end of the day when, when one family boat got on and they started wakeboarding at the other end of the lake. But outside of that, there was a kayaker and a bass boat. And you'll see from our aerial footage as we filmed the lake and the boat, we're the only ones there fishing. And so I think that's the key um, right now. If you want to catch fish in the dog days of summer, we got another full month of it. Go someplace Away, get away from Salt Lake County and Utah County. Get out there into some of these other counties with these small lakes, and you're going to catch fish because they're getting beat up, like we mentioned earlier, two ways, pleasure boaters and fishermen. And so if you can find a lake like Minersville, which, hey, it's two hours from Utah County, Steve, 
That's just far enough to discourage people from getting up at 4 a.m. to be there by 6 to fish that early, early morning bite, that if you're willing to do that, you're going to catch fish. Yeah, I was going to ask you, was it a morning bite? Is that what you fished, I assume, mid to mid part of the day because you still had to come home. But, yeah, you, most of your fishing was done in the morning. What was the, what was the activity level right at sunup? You know, we made the mistake of fishing for bass right at sunup. And, I, and you and I talked a little bit about this. And then I, I thought, gosh, after an hour or so of messing around with the smallmouth, we went to trolling. And it was, it was fast and furious until about 11.30, and then it was, you know, kind of one, and then another. Well, by then, you know, it was already 98 degrees. It was smoking hot down there. So we packed it in by noon. We were off the water by noon and, you know, driving home in the A.C. by, you know, 12.30. So I really think that getting down there and getting up there at first light, and I'm, I'm confident that had we trolled right at first light, right there at, you know, the very first thing, we would have caught exponentially more fish, and we still whacked them. I think we probably caught 20 to 25 really nice rainbows in that, that couple of hours of just trolling back and forth. And we never really, we'd go down to the dam, turn around, and go back up about half, half the length of the lake and turn around and just made the same path. I hit the same GPS track over and over, and every pass it produced a couple of fish, and then it tapered off. So I think the key is... Um, Get out early, hit a body of water that you, you know, you may never have gone to before, and you know is a couple of hours from Utah Salt Lake County, and I really think you're going to see better fishing, and uh, it's just going to produce results. And, and I know this for a fact that I've got a couple of friends that went and did the same thing, but they went to a couple of lakes, you know, in different directions that were further distance, and they had the very same experience where nobody's on the lake, and they caught fish, because here... Right now, even during the weekday, Steve, if you go past any of these lakes, Echo, you know, yep. all these, you know, all the lakes around here, Salt Lake, Utah County, even Pineview. So, not to belabor the point, but I flew from Idaho Falls back to Provo a week and a half ago for our show we did up there with the knife making, and every one of those lakes was absolutely packed with pleasure boaters as we flew over them. I could not believe it. It literally looked like you'd walk, you could walk from boat to boat. So my advice is get away from here, drive a couple of hours, either go the night before or get up at the crack, and you're going to have success. Well, I'm looking forward to the show tonight, buddy, as always, and so we'll check it out. I can't wait to see the aerial release, long line release of your big fish. Yeah, watch it. You'll see it. It's the straight down <laughs> shot on the boat. And be looking behind the boat because you're going to see what I'm talking about. It was a very big fish. Sounds good, my friend. We'll check it out tonight. Awesome. Hey, be good. Tight line, Steve-O. All right. Gary Winterton, Mr. Hooked on Utah tonight, 11.05 on KUTV Channel 2, right after talking Sports. Final notes coming up in just a few moments. I'll tell you about my experience this week on the lake. Yeah, we fought a little bit of boat traffic, but I'll tell you where you can go catch some nice kokanee right now, and you don't have to go too far away from home. segment of the show right now here on uh, this Saturday morning and I'll tell you what it has been uh, well it's been an interesting week to say the least 
So I'll give you a little bit of uh, through the grapevine to let you know where some decent kokanee fishing. And, you know, it's funny because Jordan L. got some kokanee put into it, what, about four years ago now. It was one of the, the increased uh, species, uh, along with some tiger muskie and things of that nature, that uh, they put in Jordan L. and the wipers and everything else. And I've got to tell you, honestly, I had not targeted the uh, kokanee at Jordan L., not seriously, anyway, since they put them in. I'd gone up to Strawberry and gone up to uh, Flaming Gorge and, you know, tried the, the standard kokanee places. But this past week, figured maybe needed a quick trip, get out of here, not uh, too far away from the Wasatch Front, and maybe get some kokanee. So we decided on Jordanelle. And I'll tell you, the fish up there, folks, are starting to get real nice and healthy. That last year, that uh, fourth-year class of fish, those fish are getting ready to spawn. They're starting to move up the river arm a little bit. And uh, just the standard kokanee technique, you know, flasher and squid, you find them. And this was the interesting thing I mentioned earlier in the show, that you're not always going to mark fish and be able to catch fish uh, with a fish finder uh, and mark fish. This was the case this past week at Jordanelle. Kind of an interesting day because we, uh, we fished around the dam a little bit. Didn't do any good and didn't really mark any fish either. So then we decided to start and go into the mouth of the river arm at Jordanelle just to find out if maybe they'd started to move that direction in in uh, uh, preparation for their spawn. And turns out that's indeed what they have done. They've started to move up that river arm. But it was funny because we didn't find concentrations of kokanee salmon. What we found was you just trolled in about 30, 35 feet of water at about 1.6 miles an hour. And uh, and the fish were there. They were there somehow, but not showing up on the fish finder. And I think we talked to several people who were fishing in the same area as us, and they had the same experience. They weren't marking fish. They were just catching fish. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've got to choose between marking fish and catching fish, I'll take the latter. Thank you very much. But those, uh, those cokes there that we picked up, at least, were not as big as the ones that you're going to catch up at Strawberry, and certainly not the size that you're going to find at Flaming Gorge. But every once in a while, you picked up a decent size fish that looked like it would be that that older age class uh, and then there's some really healthy younger fish uh, one and two year old fish probably two years old that age class there uh, that we picked up as well but the kokanee were nice and solid still uh, they hadn't really started to turn uh, we hadn't seen any of that yet although i've seen some reports that some people are picking up and maybe they were further uh, up towards the top of the, the stream where the in the stream comes in uh, than we were we were closer to the mouth where it comes out into the main reservoir, uh, but uh, that river arm there. But if you're looking for some some kokanee fishing, and all the coke fishermen up there going, yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks for sending everybody up there. But there are a lot of fish. And I'll tell you, we ran into a couple of guys uh, that are, are online, and I think it's Big Fish Tackle these guys are online at. And you're not going to find better guys. Not only were they uh, gracious about having people fish next to them, which everybody in a kokanee situation usually does, but they were also very gracious in talking about what they were doing and what was successful for them as well. And, and I remember the comment that one guy made, and it was, there's plenty of fish for everybody. What a refreshing attitude. What a totally refreshing attitude uh, that there are enough fish for everybody. So as long as you're not gunnel to gunnel with the boat next to you or hooking the line of the guy that's trying to troll the other way, you know, that's the attitude I think we all need, folks. The, these reservoirs are getting more and more pressure. When you're fishing for kokanee in particular, they're all going to be concentrated, the fishermen, in a smaller area. And, uh, and we've got to just be more, uh, I guess, 
what, tolerant of the individuals that are fishing around us. And then if you're fishing next to somebody, uh, give them a little bit of space as well. But sharing information and sharing the water is the key for success for all of us. So, again, if you're thinking of heading out this week, you want to find some kokanee and you don't want to either drive to the, uh, the gorge or go up to Strawberry, try Jordanelle. Uh, But try it as a responsible, good-natured, well-mannered fisherman, and I guarantee you we'll all have a better day on the water. So thanks to George and Gary today for uh, being guests. Thank you for listening into the program. I hope you've had a fun uh, morning, and I hope you're going to have a fun weekend and week ahead by getting out on the water. We'll be along again next Saturday morning between 8 and 9 with an encore presentation of... uh, of our Inside the Outdoor show, because I'll be tied up with doing the tour of Utah, which you can catch on uh, Fox Sports 1 and FS1 and FS2. Um, and uh, we'll have that for you on the air on television. Meantime, just get out on the water, enjoy yourself, or get up on the uh, ATV trail and uh, keep those... Uh, Keep the rubber on the ground, okay? Because I'll tell you what, we've seen some things the last couple of weeks where people have got a little bit crazy out there on ATVs and UTVs. It's that time of year when the traffic is going to pick up, and we'd like to see you back here again every week to enjoy the program with us. So again, thanks to my guests, thanks to you, and we'll be back again next Saturday between 8 and 9 a.m. right here on 97.5 The Zone. Enjoy your week, everybody. Get out, wet a line. Maybe get that ATV out, get out of the heat, get up there about 9,000 feet and enjoy yourselves. Whatever you do, be safe. And as always, thanks one more time for being my guests here on this Saturday morning. Along next week, and as always, my friends, you have been warned.